Good morning, family. Hope everyone's having a good Sunday so far and had a very merry Christmas series. Or I was going to say Advent series, but Advent is over because Advent is the, the time we, we celebrate coming before Christmas. And now Christmas is here, so we're going to finish up our Christmas series uh, talking about love. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time when we can stand, sit, come before you, when we can open up your word, when we can see who you are, see your heart, see your heart for us displayed through your word. Lord, I just pray for this time as we see that, that we can be moved to respond to it, that we can see who you for who you truly are and that we can love you in response. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you think about when you think about love? Maybe you think about that classic heart shape, or boxes of chocolates and roses, and all that kind of stuff. Maybe it's that special someone, or that special relationship that you know or have seen, or you have experienced, and that kind of, in focus, uh, kind of encompasses what you think about Love. Maybe it's that one special couple that loves each other, serves each other so well that inspires you with their love. Or maybe it's the daily basis that just tell us what love should be. I mean, we could probably spend a while just listing those songs or those stories and, and even talking about what they tell us about love. But what do we think about when love is mentioned? What do we think sums up love? Well, our culture, I would argue, seems to focus on that sentimental, emotional, romantic, hallmark story view of love. That love is encompassed by that romantic pursuit or that, that feeling that we have inside. And, and we even make our own kind of holiday to celebrate Valentine's Day. And so when February 14th rolls around, everyone's kind of hoping they get a Valentine's. They want to exchange those gifts, and that's what they view about love, and they, they hope that flowers are going to be bought for them, or that special dinner is going to be booked, or whatever might happen then. But we have this holiday to celebrate love, but why do we make that holiday for love? When I would argue, we already have one. In fact, I would say we have two. For when you think about the Christian calendar and how we celebrate the year, really, there's two big points, Christmas and Easter, and both of these are expressions, are articulating love. These two big ones, these two, these two moments, Christmas and Easter, the giving of the Son and the giving of His life, that this encompass what love truly means, and we try to separate those apart, but yet they cannot be. They're always linked together. For Jesus was born to go to the cross. And because of how He's born, that's why the cross is significant and shows who He is, that He came to save us. So I think it's appropriate when we're talking about Christmas, when we're talking about this time of year, to kind of focus on love, for that is what the Christmas season shows us, the love of God. And we, have, we can see this, maybe from a different kind of Christmas text, in 1 John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 4, and we'll be in verses 7 through 12. 
And this is what the Apostle John is writing, and he says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has been made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. When we look at this, what do we pull from this text? And I would just argue this, we, we pull this concept, know Christ to experience love. That by knowing Christ, we actually can experience love, the true love, the ultimate love that God has for us. I call this kind of a different Christmas text because we're so used to, and we have been there for the last few weeks, talking about Christmas, and we read those texts about Mary and the stable and the manger and all those things, and that's what we think about with Christmas. But this is taking a bigger view, pulling out a little bit, and showing what is the meaning behind those events. What is going on that makes us celebrate? What's going on through the birth of Jesus, through the Virgin Mary, and for Joseph receiving a vision about what she used to call and the, the prophecies from Isaiah. What is going on with this? And that is what John is talking about in 1 John, that God so loved us that he sent his only son into the world for us. That when we remember Christmas, what we're remembering is one of God's supreme acts of love. So when we know Christ, we know Christ to experience love. Well, we have to ask the question, which I think is good and true when we're talking about narration, maybe a song started playing in your head about what is love and baby don't hurt me. But it's good to dwell on this question. What is love? When we talk about this, we can bring our own conceptions of what love is when we start talking about love. We start to trying to define ourselves or to find love by our own opinions or maybe our own experiences or, or how we think about it. We try to bring our own understanding and, and define it for ourselves. We build this concept of love from the bottom up, going from us up into what love should be. And so now each person starts defining it for them own, their own selves. And so they define love at what, what makes them feel happy or what makes them feel good. Or, you know, we start pursuing those little flutters in our... Our, our, our gut. <laughs> but we, we, we start defining love based on who we are or our own experiences. And if we're honest, when we do that, we start making love self-centered or we start making love based on us. But when we, what we look at to determine or what we look at to define love or what we look at to find love actually determines how we view it. If we look inside ourselves, as I said, we define love by what makes us comfortable, what makes us happiest, happy ourselves to the culture. We look to love stories or songs to define what love is. And, and so Romeo and Juliet becomes a supreme example of love, and love gets mixed up with lust and uh, pursuit and emotions rule, and we, and we are driven by that. When we look at other examples maybe of, of other people, we might find good examples. We might find that old couple has loved each other so well and supported each other and served each other so well. We find those parents with those kids who they, that they love and, and we see self-sacrifice 
This is a good examples of love, and they, they maybe point a little bit better towards what love is, but they still don't show us the full view of what love is. But the Bible tells us what we look at for love should be God. Yes, these other things, they might give us a little picture of love. They might show us and point the way towards what true love is. But when we want to know what love is, we first and foremost need to look at God for he gives us the fullest and most complete picture of what love is. That is what John is saying in this text because he says, God is love. He's saying you want to know what love is. You come before the throne of grace and you see a God who made us, who created us, who is pursuing us and gives his son for us. That is love. The truest expression, the fullest is. We have to look to God first and foremost. That's how actually we're supposed to understand this world. And what's going on in this world? We, we should start by first looking at God and how he has revealed himself and what he teaches us and how he, he points us. That's where we look to to understand this world. But there's a problem that we're told to work from the top down. We're told to look to God and now define your life in this world by who God is and how he has revealed himself. But since we're humans and we want to do it our own way, and we think we should be the standard and we should be what we measure the world by, we start now working from the bottom up. And we start saying, no, I'm going to define my reality. I'm going to define what's true. I'm going to define now these concepts such as love. And when we do that, we're left with a corrupted version or view of the world and a corrupted version of what love is. Because to find and know true love, as John says, we look to God. Because God is love. Some of us might read that and say, no, no, this means that we take love, what we know to be true of love, and now we're going to say that is who God is. But that does not what this text says. The text actually says, no, to know what love is, we first go to God. A lot of us want to bring our conceptions of what we think love is. But this is saying, no, our conception of what love is submits to who God is as he's revealed through Scripture. And he shows, it, shows us the full and complete manifestation of what love is. Because love, because God is love and not only that, but love comes from God. Then when we read this text, we see that the love comes from, he's not only defines what love is, but he now pours out that love and shares that love on all who know him or all who see him. And so the true source of love, all love, is God. Again, again, we see that if throughout the text, we, we see how we have not loved God first, but he loved us, that he initiates this, that he starts it, that he loves us when we were unlovable. He is the source and he shares that love with us us. But also that love now becomes a marker of those who have met God and know God. Love marks us as one of his own, as one of his own people who have known him, that we've been around him, and his love is rubbing off on us. I know when my son has spent too much time around my dad, he starts to act like my dad. I know when my son has spent too much time around that kid I don't like, because he starts to act like that kid I don't like. And in the same way, his love starts rubbing off on us, and we start to reflect his love. That God's love starts to become a marker on those 
who know Him. And so, God is love, which means that love is from God. It's a marker of those who know God. It, it, he defines what love is. And when we read the whole Bible, we see again and again what love is. The whole Bible declares God's love to His people. When you think about the Bible, and maybe it's just dorky theologians who like to talk about the Bible and how does it hold together and what should be the main theme and, and what should we chart through and what makes all these 66 books of the Bible kind of hold together into one cohesive story. And I think there's actually many appropriate and true answers you could give to that. But fundamentally, there's one main theme that's running through it all, and that is God's love that we see God creating from love. We see God making Adam and Eve to love and to love him. Not that he needed them to love him, but that he, he, the overflow of his love results in this, making people to love him and to love each other and to make a race of people to worship him on this world to love him and to love each other and serve him. And so you see again and again the whole Bible displaying the truth that God loves his people. God pursues. God comes to them. God wants them back. He woos them back. He commands them back. He gives them everything they need to come back to him. And so again and again we see the whole Bible being this love story of who God is and how he loves us. If we have that in mind, I bet when we open the Bible and we read some of those stories that might seem more fantastical, or even just when we're reading stuff we've read before, if we have that in mind that this is God's love displayed for us, I bet it changes how we see it. it changes how we receive it. One of the, the children's Bibles that we use uh, with our kids every night is, is a Jesus storybook Bible. It's a very simple Bible, but it has this refrain. Has, it talks about God's love, and it's throughout the whole Bible as it's telling the story, and it talks about God's love being the never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And I love that because it expresses it so true. That is what God's love is, the definition of love for us. That when we read the Bible, we see it. And when we remember Christmas, we should remember it. Because we know Christ to experience love. <clears throat> but this is not just a vague love in tangible way. He sent his son for us. When we look at the verse, verses 9 and 10, we see that in verses 9, <clears throat> excuse me, it talks us, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Right there, that, that's what makes this a Christmas text. Because we're remembering that God sent his son into the world, and that is the manifestation, the visible expression of his love. That when we want to know, hey, what is love, and how does God love us? He sent his son the second person of the Trinity, holy in God himself, light from light, he sent him to now come down, take on human flesh, be born as a baby, experience all the trauma of life perfectly for us. Never sinning, never going astray, keeping his eyes and his heart focused on the Father who is in heaven, living that perfect life we can never live. This is love, <clears throat> that the Son was sent into the world. And because of him, we can have life. 
for the purpose of sending the Son was that we could have life through Him. If you read that, and you realize what that means, it almost is offensive because it's saying before that, you're dead. I argue, well, I'm alive, I'm breathing, I'm walking around, I'm eating, I have relationships, it's good. No, but before Christ, before you know who Christ is, before He has saved you, you are dead. You are spiritually separated from God. And so the purpose of God sending His Son was that through Him, through our faith in Jesus Christ, we can have life. We can be made alive to be with God, loving God, experiencing that love as we're made to be experience it. And he saves us and he brings us to God not just through a perfect life lived for God, but through also the sacrifice he, makes, he made for us on the cross. That's what verse 10 tells us. He says, <clears throat> and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, which I love that word. It's a big word. A lot of people might not know what that word means. Basically, it's what it's saying. He sent his son to be that sacrifice of atonement that not only takes care of our sins, not only brings us into right legal standing with God, not only reconciles us to our maker, but now appeases the wrath of a holy God against sin. That This whole encompasses that Jesus on the cross. There is nothing needed beyond this. When we are united to Christ by faith, we remember that he saved us. He achieved achieved it for us. He did it all. And now we stand in his grace. We stand in him covered by his blood so that we have now a right relationship with our God. And so when we remember this, this is why and how Jesus saves us. This is how Jesus saves us when he comes for us. He dies for us. But stop and reflect just a little bit on this. How it says right at the beginning of this, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He did this before we were lovable. God decides to send his son for us when there is nothing lovable about us. God decides to send his son when we don't deserve it. God decides to send his love and his son decides to live for us and to die for us and to rise for us and to ascend for us and to intercede for us. And then eventually now we hope and long for when he comes to reign over us, he decided to send that when we have done nothing to earn it. But he loves us so much that he mediates it. He initiated it at the beginning when he made us. He initiated it again and again as he pursued us. And now with Jesus, he initiates the final expression of love and says, believe in him. That he's done it all for us. I love a quote by Jonathan Edwards, who if you don't know who Jonathan Edwards, he is, he is a theologian in America in the colonies in the 1700s. Um, very smart man, Maybe that he helped kind of start, or God used him to help start uh, the Great Awakening during the 1700s. And he, he has this quote, which I love, where he says, You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that makes it necessary. I love that because it reminds us 
We have done nothing to earn this. We don't deserve it. It's not like God looked down and said, man, these people are so good. They're nice. They're smart. And gosh darn it, people like them. No. He looks upon us and says, they will be loved because I decide to love them. They will become lovable because I'll love them. They'll become my precious treasure because I decide it so, and I'll love them because they're mine. And we remember that we have done nothing to earn it, but we remember he has done it all through Jesus and his life and his sacrifice. As I kind of said, we like to separate them. They kind of get these, uh, these celebrations throughout the year, and I think that's good. It's good to have those, those times where we remember these different aspects of how God saves us, but they can't be separated totally. They go together. Because in Christmas, we remember God himself coming down in the flesh, being that perfect human, but also God himself living for us perfectly. We remember that and we celebrate that, and we should. And then on Easter, we remember the sacrifice that this God-man does for us. And those two things are linked, because if he's not the God-man, his sacrifice would just be another person's death. But he is the God-man that we remember in Christmas, and so his sacrifice saves us, is effective, is total, is all we need. And so he can represent us fully and he can bring us to God because of what we remember on Christmas, of who he is. And it reminds us the love of God. Not only that he sends his son, but he sends his son for that purpose of dying for us and bringing us to God. Know Christ to experience love. Because when we see him, we see the truth of what love is. And this love cannot be be contained. We can't hope to hold it within us because as verse 11 says, and, and it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another that when we think about God's love, we can't help but let me pour it out of us and we start to love other people like he loved us. That we have to, because we've seen his mercy, we've seen his grace, we've seen how he has changed us and how he loved us in spite of us. And so now when we turn around and we see people maybe we don't like or we don't get along with or just people who are hard to live with, we can't help but say, I also have to love in the same way. And so we start loving people and that love of God changes us to become loving people who love people for the glory of God. Because we realize the truth that God loves us even when we mess up, even when we don't measure up, even when we fail. And so when we look around, we cannot help but see people who do that with us all the time, but we're still called to love them. And we won't do it perfectly, but we rejoice that God does it perfectly and has already done it perfectly. But we're called to love. Imagine for a second what this community would look like if we loved as God loves us. If we looked at our brother, brothers and sisters, if we looked across the aisle, if we looked at these people who have, have come together to worship God and say, I need to start here and love them as Christ has loved me. I need to put my preferences second and look towards them. I need to assure that they're served and taken care of. And we love this community would change. I think we do a pretty good job of it already, but I think it, it would push us more and more to start reflecting that love of God. And then what would happen to those communities that we're a part of, this community of, of the River Valley who would start to change as we start to love not just our, each other, but our neighbors and our coworkers and the people in the grocery store 
and everywhere. We start to love them as God has loved us. And when we do that, people actually see that God is true. They actually see God. I love how Jesus, right before the Last Supper, he based in, John, in the Gospel of John, he gives this new commandment to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all the people, all the world will see that you are my disciples if you love one another. That actually people see the truth of how God changes us when we start to love as he loves. We know Christ to experience love. But there's more. There always seems to be more. In verse 12, it makes it clear that when we start loving, they don't just see our love for each other. or our... Verse 12 says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. That when we start to love as God loved us, starting in this community, starting in our families, working out to those people we know, when we start to do that, people who have not seen God start to see God in real tangible ways through how we love them and others. That they get a peek, they get a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. They actually see love in action like they've never seen it before, or they hoped and dreamed it might happen. They start to get a peek that entices them and woos them and pulls them and says, I want more of this. How can I be changed too? And it pulls them, hopefully, and points them to God and the love that He has for them, the love that He has for us, and the love that He pours out on us that now we start reflecting that, that our love now becomes that visible manifestation of God's love in our communities. That's when, that are part of the testimony or the, the witness of this church and of the gospel itself and all the gospel preaching churches in this area should be a loving community that seeks to show God through love and how he works. Which means that we, we need to be challenged to let God shine through us when we're going about that. When, when we realize that God, once again, not a love defined by the world, but a love defined by God in the Bible, that we love them, we serve them, we care for them, we point them towards truth, we preach the gospel to them, because this is what love is. We point them to who he is, because we know Christ to experience love. We've just we just celebrated Christmas, as I think everyone's well aware of. And we celebrate love coming down for us. That Jesus came as expression of who God is. His love for us. And hopefully you've spent some time just thinking about that meditating or, or pondering this amazing fact that he, he loves us so much that he sent his son to be with us, to live for us, with that purpose to bring us that life. But I hope that that thought or that thinking about what love is and, and Christmas and what that means doesn't just stay during this season. It doesn't just stay here. It's not like, hey, Christmas is over, the new year is coming, let's chunk this out and go back to our normal life. No, this is a call every year again to refresh our minds of what love is and a call to love 
So I pray for all of us that that is how we respond to this Christmas season, that we, we, we use as that reminder, that celebration that pushes us into this new year, loving God and loving people in God's name and showing the love of who God is. So I challenge you, as we're approaching that new year, let the love of God shine through you so that people can see that you actually love God and follow Him or devoted to Him and are seeking to live your life by how He's called you to live. Let your love for God shine for you in such a way that you start loving people as God has loved them or as God has loved you. And He starts pouring that out on people and serving people in bold ways and, and, and putting people before yourself. Let your love spread not just from how you interact with people, but let it seep out on you and, and pour out of you onto other people so that too, they too can know God's love. And as we approach this new year, let's plan to love as God has loved us. Let's think about how we can make a plan or make a promise or have that tent when we step into 2022. We make it a year where we show who God is by loving like God loves us. Because we know Christ, and so we have expressed so that they too can know and experience love. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are, for your love that you have for us, the love that we see and remember and we celebrate in the giving of your Son. The giving of your son in his, his birth, the giving of his son in his life and in his death, and how he has, he's done everything we need to have salvation. He's done everything we need to be brought back to you and to be loved by you. And so, Lord, we just pray that we can make this season and this end of the year and this next year one where we love you fully and committedly, and we ask that you help us love others for your glory, for the glory of your name. Lord, we love you when we seek you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.